Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 187. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given early in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. I believe this episode is probably dropping the week of VMware Explore. Yes. I think it's called. Hard not to call it VMworld, isn't it? Yeah. I think I'm still going to take my 2014 uh, VMworld backpack. Do it. The earliest uh, VMworld backpack that I have. It's kind of beat up now, but it is it is sentimental. Um, but sorry, back to Joe Hughes. I think this is going to turn into a three-parter, which might be the new normal for us. I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to call that out. No, I don't want to say. can't set that expectation. Yeah, I mean. no, that that would be terrible. Um, but this one definitely is shaping up to be a three-parter. What was the uh, the thing that kind of like jumped out to you about this episode as we head into it? Well, you'll you'll hear that that Joe is actually an Air Force veteran. That one stood out to me, and he is a he was a part-time tinkerer, someone who played with technology and learned technology when it wasn't part of his primary job responsibilities. Yeah, I, I, that I found fascinating too. I, I would say like, you know, listen out for the, the reference to the job cable dog. I don't, I don't want to say too much about that. It was just a, a phrase that I hadn't heard before. Same. Yeah. Um, I think something that jumped out to me was a little bit of uh, early sales experience. I don't want to speak too much about it, but uh, definitely happened. He definitely had it. Was it good? Was it bad? I don't know. And I'll also point out an interesting role at a chamber of commerce that changed a little bit in the way that Joe thought about things. The opportunity was presented to him differently than any other employer that he had worked for in the past. I'll say it like that. So let's not spoil any more. Here we go with part one of our interview with Joe Hughes. Joe Hughes, welcome to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Howdy, y'all. Thanks for having me. Hey, yes. Can you tell us um, what it is that you do, like what your job title is and and your day-to-day responsibilities? My current job title is that I am a senior solutions architect at Pure Storage. Primarily, I am a guy who focuses on all things within um, FlashDeck, so Cisco UCS, Cisco Networking, and Pure Storage all together. Uh, and basically, I do primarily lab work, reference architectures, and developing essentially customer use cases and and fully provisioned solutions, and then presenting about that in public. That is fascinating. Uh, you know, let, let's start at the beginning because I know that um, when I first met you or first became aware of you in the, the overall tech community, you were working as an end user of technology, not at a vendor. So maybe we could talk about that story about how you got there. Like maybe even start at 
how you got into tech, like what that, you know, early journey that those first steps looked like. I legitimately just kind of stumbled into tech. Uh, it was after I was leaving the Air Force and ended up at a company that was primarily shift-based work. It was a it was a molding injection company, and just the fact that I knew computers and they had things that needed to be fixed. While I was working there in a summertime job, even just packing up plastics into boxes, I would get called in the office to fix things or work on databases and stuff like that. And then once I kind of went there to join the company after I had left the Air Force Academy and was looking for essentially just some easy work, I landed back at that company and they they offered me a technical role. So that was really where I started out just doing anything and everything. Did they have full-time technology staff or at the time? They did not. We had three of us, essentially, that were knowledgeable on computers, whether that was the ERP system or the custom access database that ran all sorts of functions or just people who honestly could do semi-advanced formulas in Excel. We kind of became the de facto IT department because we were just handed things to do, and we became essentially just quite the catch-all for everything. Um, including even some crossover to mechanical repairs because we had a lot of the molding injection systems that had computerized control systems. So anything that had a keyboard on it, they essentially assumed we were the people to fix it. Did you study anything like that at the Air Force Academy? Uh, when I was at the Academy, I actually spent a decent amount of time doing cable runs. Like I was a, I was a cable dog when I was there. And really most of my education around anything technology when I was there was primarily just poking around on the network. Um, I learned a decent amount of basic networking, even just as far as connectivity, subnetting, the basics of routing and windows networking legitimately just because we were poking around trying to see who had media on their machines that they were sharing on the network. So we were basically doing internal Napster. Nice. <laughs> Government dollars at work, man. <laughs> That's too funny. So that transition into that being a little bit more of a career, it sounds like the organization didn't wasn't very mature in their view about having like a technology department, something even called like an information systems or IT department. Not at all. They They viewed tech as a necessary evil and really... If it didn't have tie-ins to the logistics or the shipping of product leaving the company, or if it wasn't required for tracking incoming material to do the production, or the actual sales that were made to the companies that were buying our products, they would have gotten away with doing everything via pen and paper if they could have. Right. A lot of times it's seen as just overhead. Yes. It was it was the first time that I truly had the experience of working in what was seen as just a cost center for the organization being in technology. Yeah, it's definitely an extreme version of that, but it's also in smaller, even medium-sized businesses, especially something that might be family-run or originally was, you know, started as a family business. It's all friction, right? It's it's like you know why would why would we have an electrician on staff? Why would we have a plumber on staff? Why would we have a painter or a drywall, you know, person on staff? Why would we have somebody to run technology on staff? It's kind of all lumped into the same thing. It was it was a very interesting exposure to tech where it was 
do the absolute minimum required to get things working and then essentially go back to whatever was your other function because that was not really our full-time job. But for me in the end, like I'll, I'll mention things about it later on, but when it comes to automation, the fact that I started at a company that was doing very production-based shift work and the entire focus of the company was always do things as efficiently as possible, do them with a minimal amount of effort required and like just get any potential blockers out of the way that came to be lessons that made a lot of the DevOps methodology and things that I learned about when finally reading the goal and studying, um, you know, all of Toyota's processes and all the lean methodology like that instantly clicked with me because I had seen that exposed to me very early on in my career, which gave me a huge advantage with understanding that, that I think is also helping me to explain that to other people that don't have that, that background or that exposure. Is that something that you saw in that kind of industrial place where they were super focused on being really efficient when it came to manufacturing? Like, were they as forward thinking as having read the goal or was it just a little bit more of, oh, this is a context that I understand? It was, it was just that it was a context that I understood, but be, because of the fact that everybody in the organization was either focused on their individual roles and, and did it as efficiently as possible, but also either to ease friction or to just not deal with other people um, and, and any sort of difficulty that came with people that would just naturally butt heads in, in competing um, job responsibilities. They knew enough about what other people did to understand how it affected them or how they influenced somebody else's work. So just the organic thought process that went into a lot of that and people thinking about that naturally outside of tech was was very eye-opening to me to see it later on through the tech perspective. Yeah, this understanding of what other departments do and how it passes along through the shops and the overall manufacturing processes. You're checking a lot of boxes. I mean, I thought, oh, wow, just kind of fell into it. I That's a familiar familiar story. You know, I worked for a manufacturing company that the the IT responsibility was shared amongst a few people and got brought in as one of the first full-time people that focused on that. So yeah, good stuff. I always, I thought it was interesting too, because that it, it, it did not click with me at all until I was actually at my last customer org where John knew me from back in 2018. That was the first time there was actually a customer organization that I worked at in technology that could define what we made in profit or what it cost the company anytime we had something that was down since that original manufacturing role that I'd been in, you know, 20 years ago. And there, I mean, the most expensive machine we had in the shop and the money-making product that we knew exactly how much it cost us per minute when it was down was legitimately a machine that made the frosting cups that you guys get from like Betty Crocker cake frosting. And I was like, wow, that's, that's the moneymaker for the company, huh? Okay. But everybody knew what it was, and and they knew that was always the priority, that somebody was always making sure that things were running the way they were supposed to. That's the constraint, right? You make that the constraint, and then do your throughput accounting based on that. That's amazing. Cupcake Frosting Cup. You you kind of triggered me when you said custom uh, access database as like a key part of a technology stack, because I definitely had that in my last uh, you know customer role. The guy who built it was a consultant who left the company where he was consulting from. So there was no real way to rebuild it. And then 
you know, is in like Access 97 or something, you know, and then <laughs> eventually that starts to age out. Honestly, like one of my very first uses of VMware was to have like an on-computer isolated environment that did nothing but Access 97 for that one database because it just needed to be maintained. It might not have been Access 97. It might have been Access 2000. Oh, no, I, I totally understand that. I kept way too many VMs alive way too long because each one of them had the exact specific versions of like Internet Explorer or Firefox and whatever Java runtime that I needed to log into interfaces for different platforms or tools that we had. Oh, yeah. Windows 95 on a Mazak controller. Upgraded yeah. to Windows 2000. Upgraded. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Totally get it. Not even a fresh install, huh? Well, it was wow. a fresh install. It wasn't me who, who did that part. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Migrated, too. Migrated, yeah. That's interesting. To to come from that, to have that be like kind of your entry point, and to have it be, like you said, I, I don't know if you could even call that a cost center because it, it wasn't in anybody's budget, right? Right. <laughs> it was kind of just like spread out across like the budgets of probably multiple departments. But to start from that first exposure i mean honestly that's a lot of people's very first exposure working a job where you know you're asked to do something and it's just because maybe there's even like a centralized service that handles that but it's just too much trouble to call those people to handle something and this company might have even had like a vendor sometimes that like handles you know like every vendor might have like some kind of like oh yeah we take care of that one specific computer that that runs that one specific piece of machinery but you know overall like having them work together it's super expensive to have that company come in to like handle everything else oh yeah there were there were quite a few uh, phone calls that we would get whenever we worked with a vendor or a technician for one of the machines that was computer based you know or at least computer controlled where they would just hand us a phone and say here you're the geek talk to this person like we're not even going to touch it, right? This is your problem. Interesting backstory on this one too, which which makes it a little more funny and sad maybe. But the two people that I worked with the most at the company, which were also the ones that I butted heads with the most because of their roles, were actually my dad, who was the production manager, and my stepmom, who was the sales manager. Anytime things went wrong, me as the technology guy, or at least the one who would hear things first from either of them, I was stuck in the middle of like every internal battle or escalation that was going on inside of the company. But yeah, my, my dad is the production manager. Um, like he was, he was very mechanically and process oriented. He'd been, you know, aircraft maintenance uh, in the air force for 24 years. So like he was very, very process driven and, and always down to the very minute details on everything. He disliked a production form that they had to just keep things on track for which shift was doing which runs and what times they would switch out molds and, and change products that they were doing. So I got rid of this custom form that they had in this, this terrible application and just converted it to where they could essentially drive everything through Excel with just drop down lists and have it in a printable format for them. And I was like, oh, cool, this is easy. It took me, you know, 30 minutes worth of work to get rid of essentially what was kind of like a handwritten form somebody had done in, in, I don't even remember what the application was now. And I spent 30 minutes working on this thing. And I heard five years later, like that was my greatest contribution to the company was that, was that production form that made it easy for people to, to print out, you know, essentially like a, a timesheet for when they were changing production runs. I was like, wow, that's sad. You never know the impact when you're working on it. I have to say 
that's a totally different dynamic working with family members. What what kind of things do you need to take into consideration if you are going to do that? Uh, for most people, I would say do not ever do it, right? It's just, it's it's asking for trouble. It really depends on the personalities for yourself and for everyone you're working with and how those personalities change when you encounter any sort of difficulties that you've got to deal with. And especially if you have competing priorities or agendas or anything else that you're, that you're dealing with. Fortunately, I, having worked with my stepmom and, and my dad, even like over the summers when I was at that same company, I knew how they worked and they were very good at doing things professionally and even as much as they would butt heads at work, you know, when it was time to like sit down and have lunch or when it was time to leave at the end of the day. And like, you know, for a while, all of us even basically carpooled together. It was just, we're walking out the office, everybody takes their hats off and and we're done. Right. And we leave it there until it's a problem for the next day. Or if somebody gets a call after hours, they'll do what they need to, which worked out well sometimes that they could sit there and have a dinner table conversation about whatever was going on with, you know, some sort of an escalation or something like that. But it was only because of the fact that they were able to leave it at the office and not ever make it a personal conflict when it was a business related thing. And they could always also take themselves out of the situation and escalate it to like the, the general manager of the place. If they couldn't come to an agreement or they couldn't figure out what was the priority, they were perfectly fine with I don't want to say just handing it off to somebody else, but to let somebody else make the decision. And I think that was something my dad had helped to instill in that organization. Like he was very clear when it came to all of the things around production, he helped them to put in a loosely defined chain of command, I would say. So he was always very clear about making people understand, okay, I need input from everybody. And these are going to be consensus decisions, or some of these are going to be command decisions. So he would tell everybody up front, this is what it's going to be. And that was kind of the way the whole organization ran. When it came down to it, there were specific set priorities that the organization had that the GM laid out. And and if nobody could agree upon how they best do those, they would hand it to the GM and let him make the decision and everybody would just follow it. It was an interesting dynamic, but it worked out well because of the personalities and because of the structure that was there. So it sounds like their long-term relationship was not impacted. I've heard stories where spouses worked together and it didn't work out for them relationship-wise in the long term. Right. To counter that, I would say also, though, this was my dad's third marriage. So by that time, he had also figured out that there was a common denominator. So he was working on things. That decision-making process, even that was very interesting. That's a very uh, senior NCO thinking, hey, we have the book and we have flexibility to get things done. And then we need an authority figure to like make a call if you know all of us kind of have competing ideas. Just another observation, not a question. How'd they take it when you decided to move on, Joe? Because when you, it's one thing to work with family, right? And work for them. But then telling them, hey, listen, I have to go somewhere else and I, I can't work here anymore. That's probably a little bit different conversation. It, it was a little bit different. Um, fortunately for me, that was also me moving from Colorado back home to Texas. So there was a lot of understanding of my personal situation and my personal desire to move back home because when I was up here after I'd left the academy, I had been with a group of friends that I was not, like not that we were bad influence or anything like that, but I was just, I was not in a good place where I was super happy with things. And I was getting to the point that I was focused just on 
work at this job that I was also realizing would become a dead end for me if I stayed there. So I wanted to move back home. I wanted to do different things. And it made it pretty easy to just say, essentially, this was kind of always something that I assumed would be a temporary job. And now it's run its course. And I did also have somewhat of the boot out the door from my dad because he was very much a guy who was always pushing me to like reach my potential or whatever it was. So when I said I was going to go do for different things, he was like, okay, I expect great things. Go do it now. So made it a little bit easier. That's hilarious. So what was the next move? Like what, how, how did you go about looking for something? Was it before you moved geography or did you move geography and then look for a job? Yeah, I, I essentially, like, I basically moved from living with my dad and my stepmom at the time to going back home to living with my mom because she was needing some help with some stuff around the house. So I really did basically move from one home with a parent to another home with a parent at the time. And once I got back to Austin, I just looked for whatever was a check the box, basically next dead end job, which is how I ended up at uh, CompUSA for a while, actually selling essentially computer parts and network gear. So sales. Sales experience is what I'm hearing. Sales experience. That was that was the thing. <laughs> yeah, trying to do tech in a retail organization was very weird, especially because with me being in one of the departments that was literally the first thing you hit when you walked in the door, I got so many random questions from people, and it at least got me to the point that I needed to know the basics of things, whether it was where things were located in the store, who was the person to go to for specific questions or technology or whatever, or even just what things happen to be on sale today that somebody's going to ask about, or what things I may potentially get a spiff if I go sell somebody a TV because I'm the first person that gets the opportunity to walk them to the back of the store and show them the thing and maybe get them to swipe a credit card. So a little bit different than, than you know, pre-sales on the vendor side, but a lot of things I was able to pick up from that. I mean, it doesn't sound that different. Like I, I would say maybe like, Vendor pre-sales is not as like, you know, spiff driven maybe, but uh, like a big value in every position I've ever had is knowing the next person that I need to direct this person to, you know, oh, you're asking about this. And the person who's an expert at that is Joe Hughes. And here's how to get in touch with them. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just trying to not say that I could do what any of the pre-sales guys could do just because I worked at CompUSA for a few months. You know, I don't want everybody getting <laughs> upset with me about that one, so... <laughs> but no, it, it, it really was, it was, it was fantastic experience and, and being able to learn some of those things from just exposure to dealing with people that needed technology that were not in tech was, was a very good thing to have as exposure that early on. It's a different type of help desk ticket. That it absolutely is. It is a skill that I think those of us who are in pre-sales have to learn at some point in time, which is de-jargoning things, right? learning how to understand what people's problems are and then understanding like, oh, there might be a product or you know solution that's here that'll help you out with that 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 person doesn't necessarily know about. It's like, you know, I need a security system. Like, do you mean security breaking the glass or security camera or security? Un understanding, you know, and translating what their issues are into categories that the industry thinks about and, and then, you know, products and solutions on the back end. But it also, I, I think is probably good for people to like be in a retail job so that when you go and buy things in retail stores, that you're polite to the people who work there because you know and understand and feel their pain. 
1000% agree. I I feel like everybody should have to be in or at least be exposed to like a help desk role or be exposed to helping people that are not technologists use your technology and be able to explain it at that level or just honestly have to be the first line of I don't want to say first line of defense but the first line of of um interaction that somebody has with an organization because it's it's an entirely different mindset and a different level of preparedness you've got to have I think to do that well especially at the time that I started working to actually log in machines when we would pull them into the tech center to go do help to do, do physical work on them in the back typically it was you know swapping out components or things like that it was the closest that I ever had in the tech world to when I also worked on cars or worked at AutoZone and would have people walk in and try and explain to me the sound that the starter made on their car when it wasn't working. People were trying to explain to me exactly what the whirring of their hard disk sounded like back then. Or it was trying to sell people gear to solve the problem that they had that they couldn't really explain back in the days when this was selling people their first 802.11 wireless router or access point. Keep hearing this clicking noise on my hard drive, Joe. Well, how often is it clicking? Like, is it every five <laughs> seconds or is it every seven? You know, is there a little whir in there? Too? I, I didn't yeah. time it. It just clicks. That's all I know. Right. Gosh, guys, hard drives instead of uh, solid state. All flash, all flash. <laughs> You're uh, triggering me all over again. <laughs> so how long did that last? What was the, the exit from that position? That was six months or so, I think, at CompUSA. And that was another one where I just openly acknowledged that it was would have absolutely been a dead-end job because I was working with people where like the store manager had been there for probably 17 years to work his way up from being a salesperson to the store manager. The operations guy had been there for probably 10 or 12. The, even the guy who ran that was the manager of the tech shop was there for 15 or things like that. And then I was working alongside sales folks that could have been the cast of a very terrible teen movie back in the days that we were all in high school. And we would run every Friday and Saturday night having like land parties in the back of the CompUSA and this is going nowhere. So even then you had career on the brain? Not necessarily career, but Talking to friends of mine from high school that worked at Taco Bell, they were basically saying like, yeah, this is no different than working there. And I was like, well, I think slightly, but no, we really just sell different stuff. And people are probably happier when they're leaving Taco Bell at whatever time they're visiting rather than leaving CompUSA with probably way more money than they expected to spend when they walked in the store. So it was it was at least a little eye opening to see people with a different perspective try and tell me that. Working at CompUSA was essentially the same thing as just a tech version of fast food. That's an interesting analogy, but I like it. Or a tech version of AutoZone, the way that you just put it a little bit <laughs> earlier. I, I, I get it. There's there's something about that that maybe helps us understand like what it is that we do and don't want from our careers and the types of jobs that we're working at. And it sounds like a couple of times... You know, you've come across that type of thing. It's like, oh, I don't see a future here. Or the future that I see, you know, being the store manager, getting your quarter raise and moving you to the register, like that doesn't really excite, right? So you recognize that that wasn't what you wanted. Did it help you think about what you did want 
or was it still like kind of defining things in the negative? Why? No, I don't want this. So I need to make a move. It did. It did help me define things in what direction I thought I wanted to go. And, and at least very clearly, which way I did not want to go because I didn't want to stay in just retail and have essentially one single career path where I'm waiting around or I'm potentially having to like shift from one store location to another to wait for an opening for moving up one level in three years or something like that. But getting an opportunity there to work in the tech shop and actually work on computers and then actually to be able to be one of the on-call technicians that would go out to customers' houses to actually help them troubleshoot issues that were out there or do network installs out there or even do things where we would do, you know, some AV installs where it was like installing somebody's TV by pulling it out of the box and plugging it in. And seeing how much more that was possible to be paid in that role because having to travel, you know, even just outside of the store to go 15 minutes to somebody's house was a pay increase. And I was like, ooh, there's a lot more stuff that's here. So even just the exposure to the tech and understanding what opportunities could be there in being able to expose tech to people that don't deal with it as like their primary job and making it accessible for people in the real world or getting deep into the tech and just joining, you know, an IT department somewhere and, and working on that was definitely opportunities that I realized at the time should be things that I go look into. Cool. What was that job search like? Was there a specific um, strategy that you had or was it a little bit more shotgun or specific websites? It was a little bit shotgun. Like back in the day, that would have been me applying for roles on, gosh, probably like hot jobs and Yahoo jobs. And uh, that was definitely back in the day of like monster. So looking for a couple of roles and I ended up stumbling into one just because somebody that I knew had a need for somebody to come in to just deal with essentially three servers that they had that ran their entire infrastructure. One was their website, one was a database server, and one was like the domain controller that ran everything for all their local file services. So I basically got hired on board there to be the contract IT guy that also did other stuff in the company again. So I took the job because it was significantly better pay than I was making at CompUSA. And it was at an organization where I knew it would connect me to a lot of other people or give me the opportunities to meet other people. And with another contractor that I knew that they had there that did a lot of tech work, he was already telling me that he was interested in using me to do a bunch of side work for him as well. So that kind of got me started in learning tech and learning people networking and getting the opportunity to do some consulting. You said something interesting there, which was people networking. So do you think you could talk a little bit more about that? Like what your perception was there? Yeah, legitimately, that was where I was working at a company that was, it was the Association of Mexican American Chambers of Commerce. So it was a company that the entire thing that they did was to try and enable businesses to network with each other. And the person that hired me onto that role was a dad of, of a friend of mine. And he just gave me a solid sales pitch on it up front and said, all we are doing here is basically making sure that people are connected and making sure that they all understand what each other's capabilities are to empower each other to do better things. And I was like, wow, that's just sounds cool. Like that sounds like something I want to be a part of. And that's what got me in the door to do a tech job that really had nothing to do with what it was that they were actually doing as an organization. But you had the values match. Like you aligned with the mission of the company. You liked that. And that was part of the reason you went there. That's pretty cool. 
And it's also like an early head start on the value of person to person networking. Like if there's a, a way to get an exposure to that, it is working for an organization where that is the sole business or the sole goal of the organization. Yeah. Learning, learning that or, or getting that exposure and getting honestly, what was even just that simple sales pitch about the fact that there were organizations that did things like this, or the fact that there were companies that went to this organization because they didn't understand who else in their area did what they did or who they could connect with. And, you know, the, the, terrible like movie lingo of like synergize or things like that right who could who could enable each other to do things better was probably not something that i think i would have i i definitely would have never gotten it that early in my career as something to be mindful of if it weren't for people outside of technology because at that point even with working the tech and even with doing the consulting I didn't put it together myself that, oh, I work with this one consultant and I also know these two or three other people that do tech consulting. Maybe by connecting all of us together, we can figure out what skills we have and what we do and everything. At that point and that early in my career, everybody that I knew that was a consultant essentially saw everybody as either competition or an employee. And that was it, right? We, that was way before I got any of the concept of the power of community. Nick, what a tease right there. What an edit point. Um, I'm looking forward to that discussion from Joe on diving into um, the power of community. Can you believe we would do that to our listeners, John? Just cut yeah. it right there. I mean, who does that? Who does that? I'm mad at whoever did that. That was us. Okay. You know, there was still good stuff in, in that episode. Like, you know, just immediately preceding that, the job with the Chamber of Commerce, which kind of like led into that realization, like that connection that joe got with the organization's mission to connect businesses right which kind of led to that epiphany of like professional networking like being an important thing to do i thought that that was really fascinating and then also some of the lessons that that joe extracted from uh working with family members you know something important to keep in mind i i don't know that we've had enough people on the podcast who have talked about working with family members to do like, you know, to generalize, I feel like this is maybe the first time that that's happened, that we've talked to somebody. And and the reason I wanted to dig into it, because I, you know, I have talked to people who got divorced because they worked together all day at the same place of occupation. Yeah, yeah. Glad to hear it didn't end that way in this story. Yeah. Sounds like your mileage may vary. <laughs> maybe it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever. What it's like more parents than uh, your spouse. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I will say I can definitely identify with the IT as a cost center and manufacturing mentality. It, it's funny because you have this stark contrast, right? Joe mentioned that he heard about the mission of the Chamber of Commerce and really liked that mission. He was at the manufacturing company and 
all the work he was doing to try and make things better was just seen as extra overhead, even though some of the things were definitely helping the flow of parts through the shop, helping people be more efficient at, at their jobs. And another quote back to lean processes, DevOps mentality, but it, it seems like it's, as Joe said, it's a little bit easier to understand those things if you have worked in a manufacturing environment. Yeah, can totally understand that. And for me, you know, I worked at a manufacturing company for about nine years. And I don't think while I was there, I focused enough on learning those lean processes, the theory of constraints. I think I've appreciated them more since I stopped working there, sadly enough. Yeah. I wonder if it has to do with the organization and how they talk about it like you know maybe sometimes they've adopted those things and maybe it's like so into the dna of the organization that you know everybody in the organization knows about you know what what's being done there and as a result can help to contribute you know and maybe not i think i had trouble connecting my work to increasing throughput sure that, that was yeah. always the hard part that makes sense like if you if you don't see the direct connection then it doesn't provide as much of an incentive to to learn the upstream stuff. I definitely, when I was working at a wholesale distributor, you know, understood, well, I, I guess the, the warehouse, you know, management module was, you know, the heart of the business, right? You could say we didn't really have transportation management software. So, you know, that was more of like an external process. But the internal workings of the warehouse, you know, definitely ran on software where I was like the specialist. So, you know, it helped me understand that a little bit more. And, you know, I still feel an affinity and connection to that industry, but I can totally get where you're coming from. It was like the seeing that and being connected to it at all, like, you know, helps you understand probably on a more visceral level, you know, to the like DevOps thinking and any uh, business fable that has to do with uh, basing, you know, what it's doing on manufacturing. Cause it just, it just resonates. Like you've been in that industry. Yeah. And in my case, I wasn't the ERP system specialist, but I did learn a ton about how it worked and how it mm -hmm. touched the different processes, how people use it. And that was very interesting. It was very yeah. interesting to learn that. Speaking of learning, Joe talked about learning from jobs that he kind of classified as dead ends, even mm -hmm. when he took them, at least mentally. So there's this idea of, and I think you said it right before we hit record, was jobs as a bridge to that next thing. Right. You're, you're taking it, you know it's only going to last for a short period of time. I would hope that when you do, you are trying to learn whatever you can, gain whatever experience you can. That seems to be the way that Joe approached these situations, specifically the, the CompUSA six months set. I mean, he learned a great deal from that experience. Yeah, and provide, you know, honest value. What, what, you know, you're actually doing the job, right? You didn't just sign up and, like, kind of checked out, not doing anything, looking for the next thing already. I think that there's something there about, like, you know, Joe classified, you know, a job as a dead-end job, but it was fine because, you know, he needed something at that moment, and he needed a point of stability, and, you know, it was just, this is what I'm going to be doing while I look for what I really want to do. Right. I'll work in tech fast food while I <laughs> while I look for a restaurant. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And that's not to knock anyone listening who may be working at CompUSA. Please don't take it like that. Not at all. Not at all. Like, you know, one of the, the goals here is like if you're working at CompUSA and, you know, your goal is to go somewhere else and get on like that bigger stage that, you know, here's somebody who's blazed the path for you. So hopefully uh, it's a it's a positive, uh, positive discussion. Yep. I think any step that you take part in over the course of your career where you learn something, even if you knew that long term it wasn't for you, that's a positive. Absolutely. Okay. Well, anything else before we get out of here? No, sir. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey, and we will be at VMware Explorer US 2022. Come see us. Yeah, absolutely. If you're uh, listening to this and at the conference and it hasn't finished yet, you know, please feel free to uh, ping us and uh, we'd love to chat with you maybe at the final party maybe not anytime if you're listening to this on the tuesday that's coming out try to get into our wednesday session i think it's fully booked but um you know stand outside wait in that that long long line of people who are uh, who want to hear what we have to say and if you don't get to see it come find us and we'll give you nerd journey stickers anyway absolutely we're gonna bring some um okay well farewell listeners uh, tune in next time as the journey continues I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Adios.